0: Ready down, This
1: is the Bear Report podcast with Zach Pearson, Zach Pearson, and Aaron Lennon, Aaron Lennick. providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears. Go Bears presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming.
2: Welcome in Bears fans to another edition of the Bear Report podcast. The first edition with Justin Fields as your new Chicago Bears quarterback. They actually did it. They traded up and drafted Justin Fields last Thursday night. I'm one of your hosts Zach Pierce I'm joined as always by my co-host Aaron Lemming and we are both as excited as ever that the Chicago Bears moved up and seemingly picked the right quarterback this time. Am, Am I right Aaron?
3: Yes, I man, it was like we we're talking about right before we started recording. I mean, it was just one of those it was such an emotional roller coaster and the and the fact that everything had to happen the way it did, you know, like just really thinking about everything that had to happen. I mean, obviously San Francisco identifying Trey Lance as their guy and in Atlanta not taking a quarterback and then things falling the way that they did at five and six and then, you know, really the big key, you know, there's a few big keys, but really one of the big keys was those picks seven through nine where there was a lot of talk, you know, uh, you, you, with those teams, whether it was Detroit, whether it was Carolina, or whether it was Denver. Where, I mean, yes, they all added veteran quarterbacks, but at the same time, I think we can all objectively look at it, may, outside of maybe Carolina, and that's that's a big if because I'm not high on Sam Darnold. But I think we can all objectively look at their situations and say, none of those guys are going to get you to a Super Bowl. None of those guys are going to be, you know, the quarterback. So you start seeing Justin Fields fall down the board all of a sudden it gets past you know eight or seven eight nine and then all of a sudden you're looking at 10 and that trade-up happens or the you know from from the eagles and you're like okay well you know it goes from this is a sweet spot and he's falling to okay well now the bears are running out of spots you know before new england picks at 15 you start going through your head you're like well detroit you know uh, sorry uh the giants have never traded down with with gettleman and then you look at the Cowboys, you know, trading back from ten to twelve because they couldn't get one of the corners. You're not thinking that they're going to trade back even further. And then you're looking at thirteen with the with the Chargers, and the Chargers have clearly been looking offensive linemen this entire time. And you look at fourteen with Minnesota, and you know Minnesota is not going to not going to trade with the Bears. And then come to find out after all of this, after the fact, they thought Justin Fields was falling to them. They thought that they were going to get Justin Fields at fourteen. And we know if they if he didn't go at fourteen, he was definitely going to go at fifteen. Um, you know, I I still. Fail to believe that that uh, that you know Mac Jones was a quarterback over uh, you know uh, Justin Fields that you know for New England at fifteen. So I mean, just the amount of things that had to go right, and the fact that he fell out of the top ten, and they were able to get him at eleven, and that was where the trade partner was because that saved them a lot of draft capital. Because I mean, we're talking, dude, if if, if they traded up at seven, eight, or nine, you're talking probably either another first round pick on top of it, and you know the dynamics of things change or a future second or even more capital. So the fact that all they, you know, in in essence, really all they had to give up, the big pick was, you know, the 2022 first round pick. I mean, I don't know how you cannot feel good as a Bears fan right now, knowing because basically what just happened is you just had a, a reset button just hit. I mean, all of a sudden you go from the Bears don't have a quarterback you know, regardless of what happens this season, if they tread water at eight or nine wins, there's, this is still not a good football team. We're in, you know, quarterback hell. This is NFL hell. To all of a sudden, even if they're bad this year, we know that the future is bright because they finally got a good quarterback. Well,
2: that's the thing for me. It's it, There's hope. There is some sort of hope now that... You know, if the season does fall apart here this season, um, there there is hope that you have a franchise quarterback and you can start to kind of make those moves to kind of reset your roster. And that you know that's going to kind of suck for you know 2022 because that's kind of going to be considered a rebuilding year if this does happen. But at least you have the quarterback in place. We've said it all offseason nothing else matters until you have the quarterback in place. You can live with, you know, someone like Khalil Mack or Akeem Hicks or or anyone like that not on your roster for a Super Bowl run in in three to four years as long as you have the right quarterback. And it's just, you know, it's hope, man. I I just keep going back to that word. It just feels good. It feels different. It's, you know, the last time the Bears traded up for a quarterback, it was Mitch Trubisky who – You know, hell of an athlete, but just did not have that pedigree that someone like Justin Fields had. And, you know, I keep going back to what's one of the things that was a big point that people made about the the Trubisky and Watson decision was that Deshaun Watson's done this on the national stage. He slayed Alabama. He took down Alabama in the national championship game. He, He Performed big not once but twice on the college football playoff stage. Justin Fields has done the same thing. He took down Clemson this past year. He was hurt for against Alabama. I mean, that was a hell of an Alabama team that just won it all. But even the year before when they lost to Clemson, he played pretty damn good in that game. You know, kind of came down to the wire. So Justin Fields has done it on the national level. He's kind of, you know, has that pedigree of being, um, you know, able to perform in big games against big opponents. And for a lot of people, I mean, let's not forget, he's been QB2 on a lot of draft boards um, leaning into this draft. And for whatever reason, you know, there was the things that came out, the epilepsy came out, um, Dan Ravlowski said, you know, some comments about his game, criticizing him, um, maybe saying he's not a hard worker. When I've seen Justin Fields over the past couple days, to me, and I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. He looks pissed off, and it's not pissed off at the Bears. I, I, there are some people out there saying that you know, he doesn't look like he wants to be in Chicago. No, when I saw him in that room with his family and he kind of just had a blank stare on his face, that's not him being like, oh, I don't want to go to Chicago. I think that's all those emotions bottled up inside of him of these last of this last month. Because let's be real. This last month has not been kind to him in terms of analysts and him slipping on draft boards. For me, I feel like he's a pissed-off quarterback, and he really is out to prove everyone wrong. And that's the best type of player you want right now for the Chicago Bears.
3: Absolutely. I mean, really, you know, and, and we'll get into this more with our guest here in a little bit, but there was – I think that you can sit here and comfortably say somehow, some way, don't know why, um, you know, there was clearly some sort of smear campaign or something going on with Fields because, you know, here's the here's the reality of the situation, right? And and I think we can all kind of you know rewind a little bit, and I'm not talking you know a year, I'm talking a few months where you know, you, you look at the performance that he had against Clemson in the playoff, you know, before the national championship game. And there were a lot of people like, okay, this guy's a real deal. Like he's clearly going to be, you know, one of the first two or three quarterbacks taken. And obviously, you know, Zach Wilson came on and it was very impressive this year. I mean, he kind of came out of nowhere, kind of one of those Joe Burrow types where he goes from being a mid to late round pick to all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, this guy's got a lot of arm talent and you start seeing everything kind of put together and he jumps up into the spotlight. So but there was that there was a clear debate whether or not Fields was going to go, you know, second or third in terms of the quarterbacks. Everybody's regarding, you know, Trevor Lawrence as a generational talent. I don't know that I disagree. Um, but I do what I will say about this, right, is that I do think and this is not just because the Bears took Justin Fields. This is how I felt all along. I've made my I've made my feelings very clear all along how I feel about this quarterback class. I think it's a very good quarterback class. I think in terms of my ratings, I had one, two, and three were Lawrence, uh, Wilson, and Fields, but they were all very close. I I don't think – and this is not a knock on Trevor Lawrence at all. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is head and shoulders above these other two names in this draft class, and I think obviously there's there's a level of risk with a guy like Zach Wilson just because he only has that one real year of production, but then you go back and you look at Justin Fields and – a lot of people are going to focus on 2020, but if you go back and look at 2019, the guy had one interception. I mean, he played lights out. I mean, he was absolutely incredible. I mean, he he I mean, he had his moments where it wasn't as good. Um, you know, that really I think it was the Big 10 Championship game was the one game where you're like, all right, you know, and even the even the game against Clemson in 2019, he had moments where he looked bad. Now, what I will say is that the final interception of the game that kind of ended it for them and the ended their season that looked more like a miscommunication with Olave than it did anything else. But you know, it's just one of those situations when you when you go back and you really truly on a on a level scale you start evaluating the quarterback talent in this class. And you know, there's going to be some people that had Trey Lance higher too. I mean, I wasn't one of those just because he's basically a one plus year starter. Um, and and I think there's all don't get me wrong. He's got a super high ceiling. I mean, we've talked about this multiple times. You know, I like Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance in the right situation. I think San Francisco is one of those situations can be a really good quarterback if you don't rush him. But I think that we can all agree for the most part, you know, obviously there's going to be some detractors out there, but I think for the most part we can all agree that Justin Fields is much more seasoned. I mean, this is a this is a two-plus year starter. He had some time. He didn't start at Georgia, but he had some time at Georgia. His first touchdown pass was actually to Riley Ridley, weirdly enough. But you're, you're talking about a guy that is seasoned, that has been on the big stage, like you pointed out, that has incredible arm talent in a class that has – incredible arm talent I mean if you really look at it I mean you you look at Trey Lance who has great great arm I would say he's probably number one Zach Wilson is very 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 small behind in that category then you've got Trevor Lawrence you've got Justin Fields all four of those guys have incredible arm talent I mean we're talking really 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 good stuff so you know you start really comparing this quarterback class and sometimes it kind of comes down to fit right you, you kind of look and you say okay maybe we want to take the higher ceiling uh obviously outside of uh lawrence here you're, you're talking about you know maybe we take the higher ceiling with a guy like lance because i think at least in my opinion i do think that he has the highest ceiling in this draft class but i'll think i also think he has the lowest and the scariest floor or you know do you go more safe uh with a guy like justin fields or do you go you know with the again some more upside but with some production with a guy like uh you know Zach Wilson, who you know some have kind of drawn comparisons, at least with his release and his setup, to a guy like Aaron Rodgers. You know, so you really start going through and you look at this, and it's kind of one of those pick your poison or pick your, you know, pick your favorite flavor, whatever you want to call it. But I still don't understand where you know, and obviously there's a, there's a needs gap in here too with some of these teams. What I don't understand is how Justin Fields went so far away from pick number three. I mean, you know, the, really, I mean, Atlanta could have taken could have taken Fields at four. I mean, we've kind of been over this, you know, four, seven, eight, nine, just those teams right there alone without trading out, every single one of them could have taken Fields and they didn't. And again, that that plays into the luck factor of the Bears and how incredibly fortunate they were. But at the same time, when you look at his fall, it's it's honestly it's one of two things to me. It's either going to be a situation where, you know, we look back at this and, you know, we say, you know, maybe these teams, maybe there wasn't a smear campaign. Maybe it was something as simple as teams overthought the hell out of Justin Fields. It could be that simple, but you know, I can confidently say right now that, you know, I, I, I just, I feel like his, his floor as a quarterback is probably going to be a middle of the road quarterback, but I think it's kind of like Deshaun Watson where, you know, Objectively speaking, if you look at what Deshaun Watson did coming out of Clemson in that quarterback class, which was very not highly regarded at all, just keep that in mind. I know obviously things have panned out a little bit different, but if you really think about it, if you go back and you really look at the body of work and the overall mechanics and the overall readiness, uh, Deshaun Watson was absolutely, by myself as well, was absolutely the most overthought quarterback of that class. And I feel like Justin Fields is becoming that same thing. And obviously, all legal issues aside, I think we can all agree that Deshaun Watson is probably a top five to seven quarterback in this league right now. And I feel like and maybe there's a little bit of optimism on my part. And again, this is not just because the Bears took him. I feel like we're going to look back in a few years and a lot of people are going to be like, how in the hell did Justin Fields get to number 11?
2: Yeah, I hope you're right. And, you know, I keep going back to what you said. I mean, it's pretty much the stars had to align. You know, Dallas and Philadelphia had a trade um, in the NFC East, which screwed over the Giants because the Giants looked like they're going to take Devonta Smith. And once that kind of happened, you know, we heard Ryan Pace say he talked to Dave Gettleman the night or the, the morning of the draft, and they were kind of going through um, scenarios on, you know, if there is a potential for a trade-up. And Gettleman does not usually trade in drafts. And that scenario just happened to pop up, and it all starts with San Francisco going with Lance. It starts with Denver um, not taking a quarterback. And, you know, it also has to do with there was a couple really good players that were not quarterbacks in Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, um, Pini Sowell, who were too good to pass up for those teams. Now, a couple of those teams had quarterbacks. Um, but you know, you know, Denver's the one for me. I, I I'm shocked they didn't take Fields. I don't know if they were kind of going to push all their chips in with Aaron Rodgers. I doubt that. Um, Instead, they went with a defensive back, and you know, later on we found out Minnesota was trying to go after Justin Fields. So it's just it's crazy, man. It feels good. The kid hasn't even stepped on the football field yet, and I'm already excited. The city's already excited. Like you watch when Trubisky was drafted, there wasn't, and it's not Mitch's fault. There wasn't videos of people celebrating the draft pick. Um, You know, we saw one at at the White Sox game the night of. The fans were cheering when they got the news. And there's people, you know, yelling at their TVs and and going nuts because the Bears have hope. They have a quarterback that, you know, could potentially be their franchise quarterback. And, you know, while it does probably buy Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy a couple extra years, I can live with that because, like I said, man, nothing else matters unless you have the quarterback position. We're going to talk a lot more about fields with our guest um, later on, uh, Stephen Hellwagen from Bucknuts of 24-7 Sports. He joined us to give us some insight on fields. He got to cover them at Ohio State for the last two years. Really good stuff. Um, And we'll get into all that. But Aaron, you know, fields is the highlight of this class. But for me, this is a class that's an A-plus class right now, and it is a very damn good draft class in my eyes. And it's not just because of Justin Fields. Yes. Justin Fields was the first big piece. And on day two, Ryan Pace stayed aggressive. He traded up, you know, with Carolina moved. What was it? I think nine or 11 spots, somewhere in that range. And he went out and got a tackle that has a first round grade from a lot of people. And a guy who was actually, you know, one of the bears biggest targets in this draft, Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma state. He's, he's, a nasty offensive tackle. He just plays with a mean side to him. I've been talking to some people, um, you know, since Friday. And kind of the one thing that, you know, I've agreed on with a lot of people is that the Bears kind of needed that nastiness on their offensive line. We haven't seen that in a long time. And you talk about like, you know, Olin Krutz was a player that kind of played with an edge to him. Guys like that, you need that on your offensive line. For me, not only that, not only Tevin Jenkins, but, their um, pick in Missouri's uh, Larry Borum, who also looks like he plays with an aggressive style of physicality that we haven't seen, I think that's really damn good and, and needed for Chicago's offensive line.
3: Yeah, I mean, kind of going back to your original point, just talking about this draft class as a whole, I, you know, it's it's incredible and it's crazy because, I mean, I, myself more than you, you know, have, have really been pretty pretty negative and pretty hard on ryan pace and the organization coming into the offseason and how they've handled things with the press conference and free agency and everything else that's come with it and then you know and it's kind of like we talked about you know going into this draft they needed a massive draft they needed a quarterback to follow them or to find the right quarterback they you know they needed to make all the right picks but there is no reality you know that existed that you could have told me that the Bears would somehow end up with Justin Fields and Tevin Jenkins. I had Tevin Jenkins going to the Bears with 20. I thought he was well worthy of the, you know, the 20th overall pick. I wasn't even sure that he was going to be at the Bears pick at 20. There were a lot of mocks that had him going 19 to to Washington. So the fact that they were able to trade up and get Justin Fields and then turn around and trade up and get Tevin Jenkins – I mean, that right there alone, I mean, you've already done, an, you know, an incredible amount of work. And what I will say, this does come with a caveat because of course, you know, you look at the the bear situation, you look at the draft picks and you say, you know, they needed multiple contributors in this class. So obviously, you know, when you, when you trade up the one time you give up the first round pick, you also give up your fifth round pick, you know, and then obviously the, the first round for next year, you know, so on and so forth. But then, when you trade back up, you know, when you trade up again in the second round, and you give up your third round pick, and you give up another one of your six, and then you get back the fifth, all of a sudden you're looking at a situation where it's like, okay, so you pick, you know, first round, second round, and all of a sudden you don't have a pick again until, you know, the, basically the beginning of the fifth round. And and the the overall consensus on this class was, yes, it was offensive heavy, but at the same time there were a, it, it wasn't it wasn't viewed as an overly um, heavy class or deep class as a whole. And a lot of it happened, you know, happened to do with the fact that really, you know, teams again, for the second straight year and probably more so this year than last year, because of COVID and how it all hit, they were at least able to get through the combine and a lot of different stuff with medicals last year. There were a lot of unknowns in the draft class as a whole. And that's why we saw a lot of guys like a stone, stone fourth out of uh, Florida who, a lot of people had projected in the third or fourth round and ended up lasting until the sixth round. They actually, he ended up lasting to the sixth round of the way the bears picked and they traded their pick away. So another team could take him. I and mean, it just kind of gives you an idea how unpredictable this draft was, but you know, going back to Tevin Jenkins, you know, he's one of those guys and it's going to get interesting because, you know, obviously the, you know, the draft happened over the weekend. We've seen some undrafted free agencies signings leaked. They haven't been official yet. But at the same time, we've also seen a decent amount of movement from the Bears since the draft. And, and you know, obviously the big part of that comes with the release of Charles Leno Jr. They're starting left tackle for quite a while now. And kind of going back to what you are talking about with needing nastiness on the line, you talk about a guy that lacked nastiness. And, again, I have always thought that Charles Leno was – a pretty solid player. I I thought a lot of the criticism that he got was unwarranted. Yes, you know, he was somewhat of a penalty machine, and he did give up untimely sacks and everything else. But considering he was a seventh-round pick and did what he did, I thought it was pretty incredible. But the Bears took a big gamble here, and I think that's definitely something that we kind of have to keep in mind with this pick of Tevin Jenkins is, uh, you know, they were able to trade up into the second round to get him and land a first-round talent. Um, but I, and I don't know about you, but I had him evaluated and graded much more as a right tackle. And I know a lot of people are going to sit here and say, well, you know, right, left tackle really, you know, it, it doesn't really matter that much in today's NFL because, you know, the, with, you know, how deep pass rushers are and how versatile pass rushers are. And I get that to a certain extent, but I, I do think if you go back and you watch and he does have some, he does have some footage of, you know, him playing left tackle. It's not nearly as consistent as it was at right tackle. And I think that. You know, again, I get it because you save nine million dollars by June, you know, putting the June first designation on, on the cut of Leno, but I, I do think that there's a decent amount of gamble and risk involved with basically right out of the gate, you're handing Tevin Jenkins the left tackle job. Unless they somehow sign somebody like an Eric Fisher who's apparently taking a visit with the Colts. You know, there there's not a lot of options out there for the Bears. And again, one of the main reasons that they cut him was because they needed to save some money. Obviously the, you know, the Everything else kind of comes with it as well, but they they save nine million dollars and it kind of gives them the needed breathing room that they that that they so desperately needed but at the same time, it's also a decently big risk um you know when, when when you're talking about Jenkins going from right tackle to left tackle as a rookie being a second round player, regardless of where people had him graded, he still slipped into the second round, so that's definitely kind of an interesting thing where not only are we going to be talking about you know how soon should Justin Fields start, but now we're talking about a guy that, uh, that people widely had graded as a right tackle because you know he he has a little bit shorter of an arms that, that you like. Then he played you know like I said mainly right tackle um, this last year at Oklahoma State, and all of a sudden you're talking about moving him over to left tackle. I mean that's a that's a pretty big jump.
2: Yeah, you're, you're kind of relying on that jump, and then you're also relying on either a rookie in Borum um, as your right tackle or, you know, Jermaine Fetty. We, we can't forget. They gave Jermaine Fetty. They quadrupled his the salary. They gave him $5 million to come back. And that might not seem like a lot of money in a normal year, but that's a lot of money uh, for a team that was kind of hurting on the cap. Um, you know, there's obviously different things with contracts, but that tells me that they want Fetty to be right tackle, it's going to be Jenkins' left tackle to start. For me, the key is for this offensive line, I think it's Sam Mustafer at center. If he's no good, you're going to be shuffling around that offensive line in terms of, you know, James Daniels and Cody Whitehair potentially going back to center. If Mustafer is good, you don't have to really shuffle anything on the interior. You just kind of have to find those last two pieces at the tackle position to your offensive line. And for me, that's, you know... A lot easier and a lot, I guess not easier, but a lot more manageable, I want to say. Not as bad as having to shuffle everything around and, and finding a guard or another center plus two tackles. So I, I do like what the Bears did at the offensive line in terms of finding those physical players. But like you said, I agree with this as well. You're going to be relying on a rookie who's going to have to shift over to left tackle and then relying on either Jermaine Fetti potentially Alex Bars, uh, Borum out, uh, out of Missouri. Um, they, they signed Elijah Wilkinson. It's going to be very fun to kind of see the, these rotations um, and where guys are going to be at on the offensive line. Let's not forget, I mean, they, they drafted two seventh-rounders last year on the line. And, you know, we, we kind of just don't know where all these pieces are going to fit just yet. So that'll be kind of something to keep an eye on. In terms of the rest of the draft, for me – finding players at good value later on in the draft was huge i mean you look at a guy like thomas graham out of oregon probably his draft stock slipped a little bit because he sat out last season he's a guy who you know very well could have raised his stock to early day three potentially late day two and he can kind of be a steal in your secondary there kind of provide some depth for you and then you look um Daz Newsom out of North Carolina, a player I like, you know, not only because I'm a North Carolina fan, but someone who in the sixth round, you're not, you know, expecting him to come in and be a star and a standout. He's a guy that can provide some special teams value and, and, you know, potentially give you that depth working in the slot. Because right now, the way I look at this, Aaron, is Javon Wims and Riley really don't give you much special teams value And as we watch these wide receiver battles go out in training camp, you know, they they signed Marquise Goodwin Um, just now as as we're recording uh, they signed Demir bird, another guy to add to the wide receiver room and who knows what's going to happen with Anthony Miller, but you're going to need some special teams value if you're going to want to win out a a wide receiver roster spot. And the other guy that I want to point to in terms of special teams value is Khalil Herbert. Now, you know, there was a lot of people kind of questioning that pick there in, in the sixth round. Why are you going for, for a running back? For me, I, I think Herbert provides some special teams value. He's he's a burner. He's a quick running back. I don't think, you know, we can kind of trust Ryan Nall at this point. Um Artavis Pierce really hasn't shown a lot to kind of prove that he can be a guy. And I, I'm just going to kind of trust. I know this is kind of weird to say. I'm just kind of, you know, trust that Matt Nagy knows what he's doing with his running back situation.
3: Well, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, sometimes you have to go with the best player available. And, you know, the other side to all of this is, you know, when you, when you're looking at a guy like Khalil Herbert, where, you know, he, he was at Kansas is Kansas or Kansas state. I can't even remember anymore. He's in the big 12. I I remember that. Yeah. Kansas. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those situations where this last year was the first year that he actually, you know, was the starter. And really, he didn't even have a massive workload. And like you said, I mean, he's he's a guy that he's more of a burner and a home run hitter, and he's, he's going to be a great fit as uh, an outside zone runner. But he also brings special teams value. And I think that, you know, sometimes, especially in this type of draft class, when you see the Bears make those two big picks and then they don't pick again until the fifth round, I mean – Darnell Mooney is a unicorn in terms of, you know, when you're looking at guys, I mean, the Bears, just to give you, you know, I really don't have to go far back. I mean, the Bears had, what was it, three fifth-round picks last year? And yep. the the one guy that really was a, was a quality contributor was Darnell Mooney. So it's one of those situations because you had Kendall Vildor, you had, and, you know, he played a little bit down the stretch due to, you know, the injuries and stuff like that. And then Travis Gibson, who barely saw the field at all, but normally in the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds, you're not going to get week one contributors for one and two. Those guys are going to be lucky to stick on the roster more than two or three years. I mean, we saw the same thing, the, the, the draft class prior to that, when, you know, they went out and they, they made a few different moves and they, you know, made a few different draft picks. And ultimately they had the, the one running back, Kareth White, who didn't even make it out of camp. And then he ended up getting signed off the practice squad of the Steelers. So, Again, I think sometimes with these moves, we have to kind of keep perspective in terms of what is going on. And obviously, you know, you you look at some of these moves and, you know, Thomas Graham Jr., like you pointed out, I think is the one steal in there where you're like, man, this guy could be maybe not on the same level. But I, I think that he could be that Darnell Mooney kind of guy this year who he comes in in the later rounds. And he ends up being a contributor because really nickel corner is wide open right now. I know that Duke Shelley's probably gonna have the first chance to win it, but you know Graham is one of those guys where I mean he was one of the better DBs in the Pac-12 until obviously he opted out in 2020. I mean he's not an overly athletic guy, he's not an overly big guy, um, but he's very sticky in coverage. He's a playmaker um so you know that that's just the kind of stuff to keep in mind with some of these moves the same thing with Daz Newsome you're not expecting Daz Newsome to step in week one and start in the slot you're just not expecting it to happen but again he's a grindy player he you know, there was some weird stuff I don't know where these people got these numbers from there was some stuff going around that he ran like a four three eight. 3 that's not what, the case what was that <laughs> I don't know I don't know I don't know who got that from where because Really, all you have to do is watch Newsom play to know he's quick, but he's not fast. Yes, yeah, he, I was going to say,
2: he's more quick than he is fast.
3: Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, again, he honestly, to me, he kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Eddie Royal. Like that kind of player where he's going to be your reliable, and this is something that, you know, going back and watching him quite a bit – that I noticed was he is that reliable guy. When you need a first down, when you need those, 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 you know, those mid range gain gains, he's going to be that guy for you. I mean, obviously he has a better tool set than that as well, but also he's a guy that can, you know, both uh, return punts and kicks for you. So again, you start kind of looking back and you kind of see where, okay, you know, maybe these guys, maybe these, none of these, maybe none of these guys will ever turn into starters but if you can have them play other roles outside of providing depth for you that's a win in these late rounds and i think that's kind of what people have to understand is the bears took their big swings with their first two picks and i don't think you'd be fine you'd be hard pressed to find anybody not overly excited about what the bears did in their first two picks i mean by literally all accounts and it means pretty much nothing because their draft grades are you know just consensus views for guys that have never stepped on a professional football field. But at the same time, you won't find one person that didn't love the bears draft. And especially those first two picks. So again, I think sometimes it's important to keep perspective on value and expectations with some of these picks. Again, Darnell Mooney is a unicorn. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, that you're going to get every year in the fifth round. The bears have had some good luck in the fourth and the fifth round. Don't get me wrong. But again, that's not a commonality. That's not something that happens all the time. And I think when you, when you you know, looking at all things considered, uh, you know, honestly, my least favorite pick was Poly Larry Borum, just for the simple fact that I think that he's more clunky than he is athletic. And yes, I understand he's got a mean streak. And I know a lot of people are already ready to pencil him in as the starting right tackle for week one. I think he's going to be somebody that falls more in that Arlington Hambright, Latavius Simmons mold, where you're going to need probably a year or two to really even see what he has. I, I and maybe I'm wrong, but I I think ultimately he's going to end up being more of a guard, just from you know, um, just, just really just his body type, and he he just lacks athleticism is really what it comes down to. But again, I mean, you you got to kind of roll the dice. There's a reason that Stone Forsyth fell as far as he did. That would have been my pick, but there's a reason he fell another round but you know really what this comes down to is the bears they 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 drafted very high at two spots that they absolutely needed one of those is quarterback one of those was offensive tackle whether that's left tackle whether that's right tackle if both of those picks work out the bears are in fantastic shape and you know for the rest of these guys it just is what it is at this point they're going to continue to make some depth signings like we just saw with bird um i would expect a few others to come i'm kind of hoping they kind of dabble go back and dabble in the corner market a little bit um you know obviously again graham is more of an inside guy and i think they could use at least some more veteran depth on the outside but again you can't especially with how the bears approach the draft and how lucky they got in the early rounds, you can't expect to fill every single hole in the draft and kind of moving forward. You know, this, this would be kind of my overall general thought on the draft class and just where this team is heading into the 2021 season. My overall expectations haven't really changed in terms of how I view this team. Now, obviously if Aaron Rodgers really is done in Green Bay, which is something that we kind of touched on a little bit, um, I don't know that we need to get too deep into it just because, I mean, let's be real here. we None of us really know what's going on. We just know that there's some serious issues in Green Bay. If Aaron Rodgers is indeed done with the Packers, I think that definitely changes things that, you know, within the division. I still think Minnesota is going to be a lot better this year, but just assuming things kind of keep the same and Aaron Rodgers, you know, figures things out and he comes back and plays for the Packers. I think more realistically my expectations for this team are still around a seven, eight, one team. And that's fine. Mainly for the fact that they picked up a few key pieces and none more important than the quarterback position. And I, I think that's really the big key is we have a lot of hope moving forward. And again, with the quarterback situation and with the offensive tackle situation that's a lot of money that you're going to save over the next four or five years, not having to pay those guys top end money. And you, we know how much quarterbacks are going for right now. You're, we're talking, you know, 35, $40 million a year. That's going to be huge to getting the bears back on track in terms of the cap, being able to get their defense younger again, being able to build around their offense and really being able to get back in that window where they can be competitive with a quarterback on a rookie contract and really maximize the value that they have on the roster.
2: Yeah, you know, I agree. I, I think the first two picks, you hit home runs, you're in great shape. Anything after that for the Bears is just an added bonus in terms of this rookie class. And, I mean, I agree with with pretty much everything you said. You know, these aren't guys that you're going to be expecting to start right away. I mean, let's be real. You know, we expected Darnell Mooney to play a role and, and be good last season. We didn't expect him to be that damn good. And, you know, someone like Duke Shelley a couple years ago, he earned some playing time last year not many of us really expected that. And you can kind of flip it over and look at the seventh round picks. You know, they really didn't impact much at all last year and Travis Gibson as well. So we're just going to have to wait and see with that. And I'm still at the part where if, you know, any one of those guys pans out, that's an added bonus. As long as you hit on these first two picks, the, the bears will be totally fine. Um, yeah, let's let's kind of get into our interview now. Um, you know, regarding Justin Fields, we had Stephen Stephen Helwagen on from Bucknuts, a uh, senior writer who covers Ohio State there since 2003. Does a fantastic job. He gave us some insight on Justin Fields, both on and off the field, which was fantastic. I think you guys are really enjoyed us. Let's get into the interview and be right back after this. And now joining us here on the Bear Report podcast is Stephen Hellwegan. He's a senior writer for BuckNuts.com of the 24-7 Sports Network, covers everything Ohio State over there. And he's here to give us some insight on your new Chicago Bears quarterback, Justin Fields. Stephen, thanks so much, man, for taking the time to join us.
4: Yep, great to be here, guys.
2: Yeah, so let's dive right into it. Um, you know, the Bears traded up, and they went and got Justin Fields. It, it cost him a couple of draft picks, but for me, Fields is a guy who was, you know, my QB2. He was right up there with Trevor Lawrence. I, I thought, for what, I don't know why he was falling, um, but I'm kind of happy he fell to the Bears. But what was kind of the pre-draft process like, you know, in terms of for Justin, especially hearing some of the stuff that came out um, that, you know, I, I don't really believe to be true. And and that was kind of the reason for him falling.
4: Yeah, it was very weird. I have to say that I've been covering Ohio state football full time since 1994. And I've seen a lot of guys come and go obviously in that period of time and a lot of top draft picks and uh, you know, not as many quarterbacks obviously, because Ohio state hasn't produced a lot of NFL quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, really, Uh, in terms of guys who went to the NFL and had any kind of success in this last 25 or 30 years, it's like Bobby Hoying, Craig Krenzel had a cup of coffee. I think he may have even been with the Bears for a few weeks. And then uh, I know he was with the Bengals for a short period of time. Uh, Troy Smith never really got it going with the Ravens. Terrell Pryor was with the Raiders, but was more of a runner than a thrower. Turned out to be a wide receiver. And then into this decade, Braxton Miller was not an NFL quarterback. He was a wide receiver. And then uh, going up through, uh, JT Barrett wasn't really an NFL quarterback. And Dwayne Haskins, the jury's still out on him. So even even though he was a first-round pick. So um, to me, Fields is probably the best quarterback Ohio State's produced for the NFL, uh, probably back to Arch Leister, you know, who went uh, to the – I guess it would have been the Baltimore Colts in 1982 or 83, I think, uh, 82, I guess. So a long time, almost 40 years, he's the best uh, quarterback. At was actually a top five or top six pick, whatever. But uh, Fields, for whatever reason, um, I I think there was some kind of a smear campaign against him. And I I don't mean that in any kind of insidious way. I just think that. In, in a draft where it was cut and dried that Trevor Lawrence was going to be the number one pick to Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, that there just weren't many storylines for this draft. So I think that the people who talked about the draft uh, basically all day, every day for the weeks leading up to the draft, the people on ESPN, the people on NFL Network, they were scrounging around looking for some type of a storyline. And they found it with Ohio State, Justin Fields, and where does he fit in this draft? And it became a story that took on a life of its own. And you had Dan Orlovsky from ESPN who said that he heard that maybe he didn't have the greatest work ethic, that maybe he was the last guy in and the first guy out and and didn't go through his progressions and just all these different things that, that people concocted. And none of it rang true. None of it. None of it followed what we had heard. Now Ohio State keeps the media at, at at a good distance. We don't get to watch much in terms of practice. We're certainly not in the meeting rooms or the weight room with them while they're working out or to see who's there at 6 a.m. and and who's there at you know whatever you know what I mean. So it was um, it was just kind of telling you know just to, to see and hear some of the many things that were being said about this guy and uh, Coach Day had always said great things about Justin, and somebody said that maybe he didn't have the desire for the game or something or the other. This is a guy who led an online campaign so that he could play, and he didn't need to play. He was already a first-round draft pick. He didn't need to have the season that was canceled by the Big Ten, and yet he was one of the guys who led the campaign to have it. So – you know, you, you're, you're looking at the body of work and the proof on one side of the ledger of everything this guy's done, and then you're reading and hearing all these criticisms by people that had all this TV time and all this Internet space that had to be filled with somebody who would move the needle. And I think it's probably some of it was a creation by the staff at Georgia who may have had some uh, – some mixed feelings about Justin because he started there and left there. You know, after his first year, they still had Jake Fromm as their starter. And uh, there was a racially charged incident that that happened there and kind of led him to transfer out of Georgia. And I think in some people's mind that the staff there may have labeled him as not a hard worker to some of these NFL media personnel or scouts or whoever. And that's kind of where the things started going off the rails, we think. So um, none of it seemed to be true at his time at Ohio State. He seems to me like a guy who's got uh, the potential to be a very good NFL quarterback. Uh, he went through a one pro day at Ohio State in mid-March. It seemed to do very well. Made all the throws. Made some kind of back foot 60-yard throw that everybody oohed and awed about. And yet, for whatever reason... The 49ers or somebody wanted to see more, and so he came back a second pro day and threw again, and everybody seemed to like it. So I don't know what the disconnect was. People would ask me throughout the last month, well, what are you hearing? Why is this this going on with him? And I couldn't put my finger on it because nothing that we had seen in our two and a half years exposure to him led us to believe any of the stuff that was being said.
3: Well, and I'm glad he brought up the racial slur that happened at Georgia because I, I think there's this this disconnect with the casual fan and what actually happened with Justin Fields at Georgia, and that may have not been the only reason, but I think people need to understand that when the second baseman of the baseball team is sitting in the stands and throws out the you know the racial slur that he did towards Justin Fields, that's a huge deal, and you know, I, I definitely think that needs to be kind of noted. And just as full disclosure. My girlfriend's actually a huge Ohio State fan. She's got a dog named Buckley. I mean, just to kind of give you an idea. So I've seen quite a bit of Justin Fields uh, over the last year, year and a half. Um, But I'm kind of curious, you know, kind of keeping on this trend of lazy narratives, um, what do you make of, you know, everybody saying, well, Ohio State's never had a good quarterback that's come to the NFL level and done things. Where do you see the differences between a guy like Justin Fields versus some of the other names that you'd mentioned? I mean, most recently obviously Dwayne Haskins, you had Cardell Jones, uh, you know, all JT Barrett, all these other names, where is Justin Fields different? That's a great question.
4: And I think, you know, um, you know, I I guess I would just kind of start that discussion by saying each each player is his own animal. I mean, you know, his own Case study, and, and I think it's impossible uh, to to lump him in with uh, other guys who happen to also play at Ohio State. I mean, because anybody else played there under a different head coach, whether it was Jim Trestle or uh, Urban Meyer, and had a different experience, played in a different offense. This guy played for Ryan Day, who came from the NFL and put together an offense that um, was basically uh, kind of a hybrid of what Urban Meyer did and a hybrid of what NFL teams do. So uh, they didn't rely quite as heavily on the zone read. He was not as big a runner as Braxton Miller or uh, J.T. Barrett were in their time in this offense Uh, Dwayne Haskins was probably the first guy who got away from running the football his one season as the Ohio State quarterback. So I think that's the first thing is that that Fields played in a different time for a different coach in a different offense that was more geared to producing a guy who is ready to go and play in the NFL. I think the other thing that you have to think about is, and I don't want to say anything bad about Cardale Jones or Dwayne Haskins, other than to say it has been readily proven in both cases that that neither of those guys were real strong on the maturity meter. I mean, when you think about, uh, and they're good people. I mean, they're not they're not bad people. If you you know, I'm I'm trying to make a point here without you know putting somebody down, but but these are guys who maybe had a, had an idea or perception of what playing college football or playing NFL football was all about. And their perception of what it's all about isn't what it's all about, and I think that was borne out with Cardell Jones as we know, and uh certainly uh with Haskins getting to the Redskins and not uh treating that opportunity like it was a uh, a lifeline for him he 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 treated it like uh he was supposed to be catered to or he was supposed to be. Uh, coddled and brought along and whatever. And, and you know, obviously the situation there didn't help him because that's a terrible franchise. And they fired the coach after his first five games. And the interim coach didn't really do much with him. And then Rivera came in and wanted nothing to do with him. And it was just an untenable situation all the way around. Uh, maybe he'll have better luck on his second team. I guess he's with the Steelers now. So I guess my point is, is each guy is his own different person. And, you know, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers, played at California. You know, they had Jared Goff a decade later. But does anybody sit around and talk about great quarterbacks from California, even though Aaron Rodgers is one of the the greatest, you know, turning out to be one of the greatest of all times? I don't think people really sit – you know what I mean? I mean, that's that's what I'm kind of driving at is that you cannot – casting aspersion on Justin Field just because he played at Ohio State unless he was playing in some archaic Woody Hayes three yards and a cloud of dust offense, which he was not. So, you know, even Art Schleister didn't play in that. Of course, his coach then was Earl Bruce, who had followed uh, Woody after Art's freshman year and brought them into the modern era with a pro passing game that allowed him to attract the attention of pro scouts. Now, he didn't have a very good – Uh, NFL career either because of his own personal issues. But coming all the way around the bend, I don't think we're going to have personal issue problems with Justin Fields. (laughs) He seems like a solid citizen to me. And so I think this is where all the comparisons kind of go to die, that he is his own person and is serious about his business. And that's how Ryan Day has portrayed it. I don't think Ryan Day would tell us things uh, about – Justin Fields if they weren't true and he has been kind of knocked on his behind by how hard Justin Fields worked at this thing the last couple years so um, that's kind of where I would put it that uh, yeah there's a pedigree that Ohio State quarterbacks haven't done much in the NFL uh, but you know what I think Justin Fields may just be the first guy or, or, or one of the one of the best guys to kind of debunk that a little bit.
2: Um, Kind of a similar question, and one thing that I've kind of noticed with um, Fields so far, whether reading some articles or or watching tape and videos, he just looks like a natural born leader, and I was reading a story on ESPN when he first got to Ohio State. He really didn't know anyone, and it was um, Chase Young who kind of took him under his wing and said, hey, you need to be the leader. What have you seen um, from Fields as a leader at Ohio State in these two years?
4: Yeah, I think you make a good point. I think that he tried to slip in the back door and not rock the boat, and he was coming in, you know, the nation's number two overall prospect uh, for whatever year that was, 18, I guess, going to Georgia, uh, number two overall prospect and left Georgia after the one season and came to Ohio State for 2019. So he gets there in January of 2019 and starts working out with the guys in the winter program. And by his own admission, for the first few weeks, he kind of sat back and picked and choosed his spots and didn't want to step on anybody's toes. And I think they realized how humble the guy was and how legitimate the guy was. And to be very honest with you, in the spring game that year in 2019, he didn't play very well. He was like 5 of 15 with, I don't know if he threw an interception, but he threw one pass for like a 98 yard touchdown and otherwise didn't get a whole lot accomplished. So there were some question marks outside the program. Hey, is this guy really legit based on what was kind of a spotty performance in the spring scrimmage where they didn't even really highlight him much at all. I mean, it was kind of like get him out there and get him out of the game before somebody steps on his foot type thing because they all knew he was the meal ticket. And so uh, I think there were players, as you mentioned, like Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, who was the running back, who pulled him aside and said, "Look, man, you know this is your team. You need to, you need to be the one telling people what's what's happening." And I think in that spring and going into that summer, when they would work on seven on seven during the summer, he did become that leader. And I think that uh, it was a natural fit for him to take over that leadership role as the starting quarterback. And I think, you know, again, he did not want to come in and upset the apple cart and, and get in the face of seniors and, and, and step out of line. You know, there's always a hierarchy in these things. And I'm sure when he gets to the Bears, he's going to walk in the door and locate who the team leaders are and, and go to them for their advice. Okay, what do I do? I mean, what, who do I talk to and how do I handle this if I've got a problem? And I'm sure he'll do the same thing uh, there with the Bears. But eventually, over time, I would look for him, you know, to become a team captain, certainly within his second or third year, like a lot of the young quarterbacks kind of do as they take over. And, uh, you know, go from there. And, and and you know, is he going to go in and lead them to a Super Bowl the first year? No, I don't think that's probably going to happen. And I, my knowledge of the Bears roster is virtually nil. I don't really, I'm a Browns fan by trade or by association, and that's who I've followed growing up. And I, I don't necessarily, you know, follow the other teams, but I did see their record was eight and eight. And I see, well, if he gets any kind of help from the people around him and they're able to squeeze out a couple more wins, maybe they can be in the playoffs in his rookie year. I think from his standpoint, he didn't go to Jacksonville or he didn't go to San Francisco, or one of these teams that we're drafting, you know, early in the first round that are trying to run down the first baseline. He's at a team that has got some guys, has got a decent enough roster to go 500 last year, and is not going to be put in a situation where he's going to miserably fail like Haskins did first year out of the box. He's going to be surrounded by guys who can help him. Uh, do, do good things with Chicago. So that's what I look to see happen. I mean, what, would I be surprised if he goes in there and they go from eight and eight to four and 12? Heck yes, I would be terribly surprised. I would assume they had a bunch of injuries. I would assume they had a bunch of problems because I don't think he's going to be the stumbling block, the success for that team. I think they have to put people around him. And if they do, he should succeed.
3: Well, and kind of, you know, building off the point that you just made, kind of moving more to the the on-the-field stuff, uh, a good friend of ours, Bobby Peters, who does a lot of really good work, good film work, uh, really just into offensive football as a whole, noted a few days ago, he's talking about Justin Fields and what he did at Ohio State and what Ryan Day's offense was. And he said one of the biggest things that's going to translate from Ohio State to the Bears with, you know, going from Ryan Day to Matt Nagy is going to be the Y cross concepts. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, not really to dive into, you know, so much of the Bears aspects. Like you said, you know, you don't you don't really follow the Bears, which is completely understandable. But in terms of Ohio State and what he did within those those two years that he was there, I mean, he threw one interception his first year. I mean, he was absolutely outstanding in 2019. If it wasn't for Joe Burrow, I think that he's probably going to be the Heisman winner. But Just from an on-the-field standpoint, what can Bears fans expect from Justin Fields? What is his tool set? What is he best at? Is there areas that he needs to get better? You know, basically just kind of a rundown on what he did at Ohio State.
4: Yeah, I think that that it's been a mix. I think that um, he has been put into uh, – going back to 2019, that was as good a year as you're going to see anybody have as a college quarterback. I mean, well – and i say that because burrow certainly outpaced it with lsu which was an amazing team but so i guess i would say for a big 10 quarterback or an ohio state quarterback I mean it's up there statistically with you know in terms of efficiency or any way you want to put it he was up there with with the best of the best and so uh i that that to me was impressive enough i think his touchdown to interception ratio was 40 to 3 I think he had two interceptions in the playoff loss to Clemson, uh, one to the linebacker Simmons, who's turned out to be, you know, everybody knows his name. And the other one on the play at the end uh, where the receiver uh, didn't, didn't follow the scramble rules and, and, and and he threw, uh, however it was the receiver thought they were doing the scramble rules and they weren't. So he hadn't left the pocket yet. So, um, you know, it cost them the game obviously they were in position to score the touchdown to win the game but that you know that was on both of them the quarterback and the receiver cuz cuz there was enough time on the clock there guys in that situation he didn't need to throw the touchdown on that play there was still probably about 25 or 30 seconds left so you know maybe he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar there a little bit but they'd hit that play for a touchdown earlier in the game so um you know in my mind uh, that season uh and, again, Ohio State that year was 10-0 and 0 against Big Ten competition, including the championship game. Nobody has ever done that. Uh, nine regular season wins and a tenth win in the conference championship game. And no team has ever won their games in the Big Ten by a margin the way Ohio State did that year. I mean, it was just outrageous the way that they, uh, you know, chewed teams up and spit them out. And so – You know, he was rarely in peril, I mean, it seemed, that season. So it was kind of hard to get a proper gauge of, okay, when the chips are down, what's this kid going to really do? Because, you know, there wasn't a lot of that until really they got in against, uh, I mean, they were down a touchdown or two against Wisconsin, I think, in the Big Ten Championship game, and he brought them back. And then, uh, obviously, the Clemson game, they had about every conceivable break that went against them in that game with bad calls and and different plays that just kind of went against them. And uh, he had him in position to win the game at the end. And, and again, you know, those, those things are going to happen. If you, if you need a play to win at the end of the game, there's a 50 50 chance you're not going to make it. <laughs> and in that case they didn't make it, unfortunately, but I think he's a guy that can make all the throws. And I think he's a guy that will utilize his weapons and he had some very good receivers. K.J. Hill was with him the first year. Uh, he's on an NFL roster, I believe. And uh, so was Austin Mack, who I think is with the Giants. And, of course, uh, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were with him as well uh, that first year at OSU. And then Olave uh, and Wilson were the, the star receivers this past year. And, and there's a lot of sentiment that Olave could be a first-round pick next year. Wilson could potentially come out next year as well, and uh, so he he had some help around him. He had good tight ends to throw the ball to, and he threw the ball to the tight ends at times. Jeremy Ruckert and uh, Luke Farrell. Farrell was a fifth round pick by Jacksonville. I think Ruckert is probably a second or third round pick next year as a tight end, and uh, he you know he's a tremendous receiving tight end. So he did not hesitate from using his uh, uh, weapons. And he threw the ball last year. He threw the ball to Dobbins in 2019, threw the ball to Dobbins out of the backfield. This past year, Trey Sermon, who was a third-round pick, uh, I think to the Niners, was probably the only running back capable of catching the ball out of the backfield, and he threw the ball some to him as well. So I think he's got the ability to do whatever it is uh, Chicago needs him to do within the framework of their offense. I mean, I think about playing at Soldier Field on the banks of Lake Michigan in in November and December and the weather probably not being real great. But he's also played in some bad weather games at Ohio State, obviously, outside in November and, 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 you know, would have the same uh, similar type experience. So uh, to me, you know, I I would say uh, they've had some games where it poured down rain and he's done pretty well. I guess I would classify maybe as a mutter, which – Maybe that's another reason why they liked him for Chicago, because they could have rain, sleet, and snow and wind over there. And, uh, you know, it may not be something that phases him, uh, you know, even though he's from Georgia. So uh, I would look for him to be able to execute whatever it is they want him to do. He's got the arm strength. He made a throw, I want to say, in the Clemson game this year in the semifinal to one of the tight ends, it may have been Farrell, for one of their first two or three touchdowns. And he threw it into a window where only he could get it. And Farrell, like, had to twist and turn his body to get it, to shield it away from the defensive back. It was the, the doggonest thing I've ever seen. And, I mean, he threw a bullet into traffic where only his guy could get it. If, if you want to see, go, go find that play, and you'll know what I'm talking about it. That one there kind of typified, if it's a tight window, he can throw it in there, and uh, he'll he'll take advantage of it. I mean, uh, he didn't throw many picks at, at Ohio State. I mean, there were a few here and there this past year, but uh, uh, he was very economic with the football.
3: Just, just to clarify, I, I want to say, and I could be wrong, but I want to say it was actually Rucker, because I was watching that play a few days well, ago, and...
4: Yeah, I, you know it may have been Rucker. He, I think he threw three touchdown passes to tight ends in that. Yeah, game. the tight ends
3: had an amazing game. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I think it was. You could be. You could be right, but I thought it. I thought it was Rucker because Rucker was the one that really stood out to me as a tight yeah. end he said second or third round pick probably this next year. And I agree. I mean, he's yeah, he's he, he was the more impressive the of the two.
4: Yeah, he can get down the seam and make some plays and and really after all these years of doing this, even though that game's kind of fresh in my memory, it's not, I can't remember all the the details by heart, but yeah, there, he, he made again and the deep balls too. He's an uncanny deep ball guy. He would have guys like Olave and I would say Olave more than Wilson, um, who had the ability to get a step or two behind the defense And that was what you were worried about was whether the receiver could get the separation behind the defense because you just figured he was going to reach out there and hand it to him. I mean, the, his deep ball accuracy, I think that's another thing Ryan Day has commented on is amazing. I know deep balls are not a a prevalent part of an NFL offense unless you find a DB you could pick on, but uh, because everyone's so good at that level, but, uh, or whether your team has anybody who can, who can get that deep ball separation. I don't know, but at any rate, he's got that in his arsenal too. If you guys are able to open or set something up like that and go to it, I think he's going to be a guy who can complete it.
2: And I don't know if Aaron has any more questions. I have one final one for you though. Uh, was there a moment that really stood out for you at Ohio state with Justin, whether I know you talked about a couple of plays, but maybe something on the field, something off the field, anything like that? Yeah, he was
4: unflappable. Uh, There was a play at Michigan where um, he may have run the football or been sacked and suffered a a slight knee injury and went over to the tent. And uh, I don't know if they kept the drive going or punted and got it back, but within a few minutes he was back on the field and threw a deep ball touchdown. And that to me, when he left the field, you're like, damn, is he done for the year? You know, you didn't know. And he went in, and it was just a sprain. So it was like, okay, you know, whatever. Uh, Put the wrap back on, whatever. Let's go, you know, try and and jog it out or whatever. And he was back out on the field. Not only was he back on the field, he made a play. Then in this game against Clemson, he took a bad shot, um, I think, to his ribs. Uh, One of the Clemson players uh, hit him, speared him in the ribs, and I think they threw the player out of the game. I think it was uh, a – Uh, targeting penalty and they they ejected the Clemson player and he left the field for one play. The backup, C.J. Stroud, who was a freshman, came in and handed the ball off and here comes Fields. And again, he is hobbled and he is leaving the field. I'm in the end zone taking photos, and I'm taking pictures of this the whole time. And I see the referee basically in a close up as he's half jogging, limping back onto the field. The referee says to him, "Are you okay?" And he nods and said, "Yeah, I'm okay." Like the referee wasn't even sure. And kind of when you when you see that happen, you kind of get a chill. Like, damn, this kid is a gamer. And he comes comes back in, throws a touchdown pass, boom. You know, oh, you're going to hit me in the ribs. You can't knock me out of this game, guys. And better yet, here's another six points. So, I mean, it was a moment that – those are two moments that really stand out for me, that that he takes a licking. I mean, no one ever knocked him out of a game. I mean, he he, he every game he started, he finished. You know what I mean? So, some of them probably to his detriment because uh, against Penn State – uh, in 2019, he did have a knee injury in that game late. They had an 11-point lead, and he ran the ball trying to prolong a drive and, and took a hit, and it hobbled him, I think, for the the, the the remainder of that season. And, you know, he wasn't able to run the ball in the semifinal against Clemson because of it. So, um, you know, perhaps maybe they win that game if he puts up 40 or 50 rushing yards. I don't think he was able to do that. So, you know, just uh, a guy that, again, uh, he he's going to do fine with Chicago. I don't have any doubt about it. Ohio State has sent guys to the NFL uh, in the past, like Bosa, both Bosa brothers, Chase Young, um, you know, where you just look at it and you say, oh, well, he's going to do just fine in the National Football League. And, and, you know, more times than not, it works out. So I look at him in kind of the same vein.
3: Yeah, that's that's one thing that definitely has stood out to me too, especially watching Fields, because there's been a few times, yeah, he's taken some shots, and and it's funny because at least you know when you watch him on TV, he doesn't look like a, a big dude, but I mean he's six three, two twenty six, I want to say. I mean he's a he's a, a solid sized guy, obviously, you know, a good athlete, a good runner. But, you know, to those moments that you just mentioned, because I want to say the the first one with the knee, I want to say, wasn't that the re-aggravation of the MCL that he had? Um, yeah, 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 it was the
4: re-aggravation of the injury against uh, Michigan. And people have second-guessed the coaches, you know, now that they go on and they lose to Clemson. it's kind of like, well, you had, you know, uh, should he have been put in harm's way like that? Well, you know, that Michigan game was still somewhat in doubt. I mean, and certainly the Penn State game was, so – you know, again, if you play enough football, you're going to suffer an injury at some point. I'm not saying he's indestructible by any means. And, uh, you know, yet, if he's had some nicks and cuts along the way, he's found a way to overcome it and get right back out there. So he's resilient. That'd be how I'd put it.
3: Absolutely. Well, hey, fantastic stuff. I've got no more questions for you. I think you did a awesome job of covering not only on the field I mean because all all of us can kind of sit there and watch and go through the games but the off the field stuff and who he is I I think really gives Bears fans a good look into what what we can all hope is going to be the franchise quarterback of this team and kind of break that 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 drought that the Bears have had at the quarterback position for you know decades now
4: yeah I don't look for him to be a guy that goes in there and falls in the trappings of you know, bright lights and big city, which I think you can do that in a place like Chicago uh, to be a local celebrity like that. I think it can happen, but I think he's going to put his head down and do his work and, you know, try and, try and help the bears, uh, you know, take that step and, and, and get back deep into the playoffs and, and and do the, you know, do the things he's supposed to do. That's what I take from a guy like him. I see that uh, he should never be a problem for the, the team in the community, as some of these other players, you know, have these off the field issues. I I can't imagine that he would turn up with something like that happening. And uh, he just strikes me as a a football guy, you know what I mean? And that's that's where he wants to put his uh, focus. And uh, that's where he's going to channel his energy. And, you know, if they win, then maybe they'll enjoy it once they've won. But, uh, you know, until that point, he's going to be a hard worker, I bet. Stephen, where can everyone follow you on Twitter or read your work at? Yep, bucknuts.com, the 24 7 sports site for Ohio State. Uh, bucknuts.com. I've been doing this full time since about 1995 and been with Bucknuts since 2003. So we've had a really fun time with it here. And Twitter, Steve Hellwagon, one word, and the spelling is E N. So it's H E L W A G E N, Steve Hellwagon, one word on Twitter. All the stuff about Ohio State. And, uh, you know, I'm looking to to enjoy the off season now. I've, I it's uh, the draft's over, and and just enjoy a little bit of time, and before we know it, uh, the the fall'll be here.
2: Thank you once again, man. We really appreciate
4: it. Yep. Take care, guys. Yep.
2: And welcome back in here to the Bear Report Podcast. That was Stephen Hellwagon of Bucknuts.com. Some good stuff on Justin Fields, and we'll have plenty more coverage with, you know, Justin Fields and the rest of this Bears draft class as the weeks go on. Um, We will not be, the media will not be at rookie minicamp, so can't really cover too much on that. Um, The regular minicamps are kind of to be announced, so... Hopefully we'll we'll get access and be able to talk about that, but we'll have plenty of, of rookie coverage in the in the coming weeks. And um, before we kind of wrap things up here, Aaron, you know, so far the biggest move for the Bears post draft was Charles Leno Jr. being released. It was kind of just one of those moves where you know it had to happen. It, it was it was a cat move. They saved nine million dollars with the post June first designation, um, free up some cap space because let's be real they didn't have enough money to essentially sign their draft class. And not only that, but make moves to kind of get them and get the roster where it needs to be. Not only before the season starts, but during the season as well. And I'm with you. I'm one of those people that, you know, Charles Honnell Jr. Wasn't the greatest tight end or geez, geez, tackle. He actually came into the league as a tight end out of Boise state or, or played tight end at Boise state for a little bit, but you know, he wasn't the greatest. He certainly wasn't the worst. I mean, go ask, you know, Denver about how Garrett Bowles was doing um, the last couple of seasons. There's always going to be worse. And I just feel like he got he got a bad rap. He was healthy, played in what, started in 93 consecutive games since 2015. And I think towards the end of the year, those final eight games, when they kind of made that switch. He played a lot better, and it was due to the interior line playing better as well. So I get why the move was made, and now, like you said, man, now you're relying on Tevin Jenkins, and you're gonna be relying on Jermaine Defete, and potentially someone like Alex Barrs or Larry Bourne if they if they view him as a tackle. I think they're gonna view him as a guard as well. But yeah, that was kind of my thoughts on the Leno situation.
3: Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's tough. I don't know. Like I said, I get it. You save nine million dollars. I understand. You know, the Bears need the money. And, frankly, you know, they're they're clearly not cutting Jimmy Graham at this point. And, frankly, it doesn't make sense. I know a lot of people are saying, well, why would you keep Jimmy Graham? Well, the reality of it is is because if you look at their tight end room right now, it's not good. It's, I mean, really outside of Cole Komet and you hope that he takes a big step forward. Um, And Jimmy Graham, I mean, they don't have a whole lot of anything. So – You know, it just is what it is at this point. I will say this I would much rather them cut Charles Leno Jr. and pull the band aid off a year early because he was a free agent after this year. I'd rather see them do that than, you know, convert uh, 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 Quinn's uh, money, you know, the $11 million that he had money into a signing bonus and prolong him here and guarantee him another year um, past this year. So it it just, it is what it is. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. The Bears have had to make some tough decisions this year, and it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I mean, again, ultimately what this comes down to is if the Bears somehow have a winning record and make it into the playoffs in 2021, you got to count that as a win, Uh, with you know with the mindset being that the Bears have what they view as their future franchise quarterback that is on the roster and I think that that is going to make things a lot easier to get through because even going back to 2017 with Trubisky and the Glennon situation you know they lose Cam Meredith in preseason their receiving group was a disaster Um, by all accounts they were a very very bad team but it it made it a lot easier to get through because we finally got to see Trubisky on the field, obviously things didn't pan out there, but just the overall excitement that this is going to bring, you know, all of a sudden all these people that usually don't like watching preseason and maybe not, you know, don't watch preseason normally, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have that many more people at training camp. You're going to have that many more people wanting to go to training camp. You're going to have that many more people that are going to be tuning into these three preseason games just to get a taste of what the future offers with Justin Fields. So again, my my overall outlook and feeling for the 2021 season has not really changed with the Bears. I'm not expecting much. I don't think it really benefits them to lose. I really don't because I mean they don't have a first round pick next year. I mean, obviously they have their second and third, but you know, really the 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 goal there if you're going to lose, you know, lose a lot of games is you want to have that first round pick and they don't. But I do think that the future is a lot brighter. And I think that, you know, more than anything, we know that there's a clear path moving forward. And even if Justin Fields doesn't work out, we won't know that for a few more years. But I think that a lot of us can feel much more confident in Justin Fields being the quarterback of the future. Than we did with Trubisky because there's not as much unknown and there's a lot more um, general consensus throughout the national media and just everybody around educated opinions who feel that Justin Fields is going to be a great thing for the Bears and like I said I mean if Aaron Rodgers ends up leaving Green Bay uh, that's that's even better the Bears are the the Bears future is in a lot better hands um, going into this week than it was starting last week. And I think that's, that's really a big key thing, regardless of what happens, uh, this upcoming season.
2: Yeah, man, mean, it's, it goes back to hope for me, excitement. It's finally here. Like I, I am just, I'm ready for the season. I, I don't think the bears are going to be a, a contender in the NFC, but I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see when Justin Fields takes over for, as a starting quarterback. That could be week one. I mean, it could be week five. It could be later on down the year. But either way, I mean, we have that now. We have a storyline to follow that we can actually believe in. And, and you know, we had Mitch Trubisky storylines the last two years. There was just no progress. There was no improvement made. He was still making the same mistakes. This feels better now because we have a guy who, you know, is, like I said, done on the national stage. He looks like a legit quarterback prospect. He was QB2 on a lot of people's boards. And there's there's just a level of excitement, man. And, and I'm ready for it. I'm ready to cover it. I'm ready to kind of see it all play out. And hopefully in a couple of years, you know, we talk about the Bears again, once again as a contender, a legit contender, and finally solving the quarterback position. Um, Aaron, what can everyone follow you on Twitter at? Yep, you could find me at Aaron Lemming NFL, and then you could follow the Bear Report on Twitter as just Bear Report. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Zach, z a c k underscore Pearson, and you can read all of our work on TheBearReport.com. dot And please rate, review, and subscribe all of our um, on, on all podcasting platforms to this podcast. And until next time, everyone, please stay safe.
1: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. mypatriotsupply.com.